Podcast 002. What is a permaculture design course? Sponsored by my buddies at PantryParatus.com. They sell food preservation tools. Produce, prepare, preserve your own harvest. All right, so uh, we're in Centralia, Washington, and and we're on the road. Oh, hey, uh, this is Paul, Lord of the Jungle. Not bad again. (laughs) (laughs) You you got to ask me again, where's my jungle? Okay, where's your jungle? It's in my pants! I, I don't know what that means. Oh no! <laughs> it meets my humor needs. That's that's all. That's scary. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So uh, we're we're traveling south on I five. We're heading uh, to. Uh, well, first we're going to go see Rick Valley uh, near Eugene, Oregon, um, at, at Lost Valley Educational Center. Um, getting to make some videos. Maybe we'll take some time to make one podcast there. We'll see if if he's up for it. And uh, we have other places we're visiting as well that we talked about in the last podcast. And, you know, in the last podcast, you did criticize the coffee we had. I know. Well, we've listened to that four times now. And, and so I'm, I'm, I'm saying the coffee was a little weak and you apologized. And now, and now you're feeling like you're insulted. <laughs> All right. So I made the coffee this morning. All right. So how was it? Good show. It was, yeah, it was, so, so, yeah, I'm sorry I criticized your coffee yesterday. So what are we talking about today? Uh, we're going to focus on what is permaculture and what is a permaculture design course. So let's, let's do the basics in permaculture. I mean, I'm kind of thinking that, that in time we're going to, like, have a lot of these podcasts, like maybe 100. And so let's set some foundation work. And and part of starting that out is to talk about how permies.com got its start. Oh, right, right. So um, I want I want to uh, uh, convey a bunch of different little things, and hopefully I'll squeeze it all into five minutes. And so we're gonna so we're gonna start with my lawn care article, and um, uh, I put it up on the internet as an experiment of like, oh, this there's this thing, the internet now, this so. Uh, Worldwide webular, and uh, I uh, people were starting to use it. I, I had some software at the time that was like the uh, the most popular software. It was kind of like today you would think of it as like the Firefox browser, only it was for the online stuff that you did before the internet. And so, in an effort to teach myself the internet, and I ended up writing my own web browser, um, I, I put this article up just for giggles. And this is an article I wrote about lawn care. Uh, it was called Organic Lawn Care for the Cheap and Lazy, and uh, which was based upon uh, something I did uh, to teach in Missoula uh, 15, 16, 17 years ago. Um, and it ended up being the presentation that I gave for the Advanced Master Gardener course um, way back then. Well, anyway, so I put it online. And then the search engines um, ate it up. There wasn't a lot of stuff on the web back then, and so I ended up being at the top of the search engines. Uh, you know, you for lawn care. It was the first thing. And, of course, it uh, spells out some very easy ways to not do lawn care and have a, a perfectly awesome lawn. Um, and you can even grow things in your lawn 
that you can't do in a chemical-based lawn because it, uh, they, those kill all the broadleaves. So you can have more of a polyculture in your lawn, a mowable meadow, if you will, of awesome, neat things. Um, but, all right, so I don't want to go into that article too much. But the thing is, is that several years ago, uh, my article went from being the top of all the search engines to, like, page two. So I was number one forever, and then suddenly I had page two. And, it's, and that's when I learned about this thing called SEO, search engine optimization. So people were out there doing things that made the search engines happy, whereas I never really thought about it. And then my stuff starts to, 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 to fall back. And and uh, up to that point, I was very happy because it's like as people did this and they were saying, I'm now not going to use Toxic Gick anymore and, you know, my lawn, lawn care stuff. I got this powerful sensation of like, wow, I, I am not just changing the world. I'm like really changing the world. I'm having a major impact. Because uh, it was getting like thousands of views a day, and the email that I got was all very positive. So, so the email is is part of what started Permies, right? Oh, that's see now I I keep rambling on about things and you keep me roped in. That's that, that's good. So yes, I I got so many emails that finally uh, I started the forums. Um, to try and, and uh, help to uh, relieve some of my email stress. But it was part that and part, I mean, at first I thought I would, like, direct people to another forum. But then um, I, I wanted to also talk about stuff in such a way where it's like, okay, you know, let's assume that organic is, like, the basis. I want to talk about going way beyond organic. And uh, for a lot of the forums that I enjoyed, uh, they were open to non-organic stuff, and if I brought up some of my organic ideas, I would get shouted down. And because um, you know they're like, if you're not spraying, you know, Roundup on this or or uh, broadleaf herbicides on that, then then you you know it's impossible. I, I hear that a lot, impossible. So um, I, I created the forums based upon the need to be able to have conversations that are beyond organic, and at the same time, uh, just buy me some time from, from the amount of email I was getting. Um, so, I, uh, uh, when my, I noticed that in the search engines, my, my article had dropped way back, and traffic had dropped down to like 100 times less, well, it was kind of a, a bummer. And, and then I uh, got the bee in my bonnet to like book up, and I'm going to play this game. I'm going to, I'm going to do good. I'm going to, I'm going to get it back up there. I'm going to go back to making a difference because, of course, the stuff that bumped me was stuff on less than organic practices. Um, and uh, uh, so now it's like when people go out and it's like they want to learn about lawn care, they're they're learning about, you know, oh, go out and buy Toxic Gick. That'll fix you up. And so I, I wanted to project my, my message again. So I went out and, and booked up, and, I mean, like, uh, you know, you could spend four years studying this stuff full-time and still not really get your head wrapped around it. But I, I got enough progress that I got, like, up to number seven or something like that. And, and then uh, uh, and then I've since drifted back to, like, uh, number 12, number 14. Um, and, uh, and so, it's you know, traffic's not very good on that article anymore. Uh, but I still feel like... I really need to, to, to get it up there. I feel powerfully compelled 
to, to make this difference in the world. And I feel like I'm so close. If I just work a little harder, you know, I'll, I'll do better. Now, these other guys, what they do is, is in order to get up ahead of me, is that they um, pay these outfits in China and India to go out and make like 10,000 links, 50,000 links to their their site. And I know I'm deleting this this stuff off of Permies all the time. These spammers will come and they'll make links to all the stuff with, and they do it all the right way. The, the point is, when your article was higher up there, it, it put the information out there on how to do it a better way, not use the chemicals, and you've done some quick math on the number of people that you know have read, and, and you have some estimates. Since the article's been out there since 1995? Uh, so I, I wrote the article in 94. I put it on the web in 95. And um, I, I, at some point about five years ago, I made an estimate that I think that the amount of toxic gick that my article has um, reduced in the United States or maybe in the world, uh, but about, about two train loads. So that would be about 150 train cars of toxic gick. Uh, and so I think it's big. I, I think it's an enormous impact. And... Um, so uh, uh, that's that's kind of how I got started, and and then then the podcast, this this podcast. My impression is is that people are saying, you know what, stop worrying about making those links. We'll take care of that for you. You just you just get your content onto the podcast. So um, that's that's my impression, and it's like I you know it's like wow you know this could actually work out better. Because uh, there's only so much I can do in a day. I'm just one guy, and and so now it sounds like boy, there's so many people that really want to help and and push my stuff. And I, now all I got to do is say what to do, and and that is make a link to my lawn care article with uh, the anchor text lawn care, and you can find it out at Rich Soil. Uh, and and then uh, um, yeah, that's that's. So, and that, that leads into several different things. It's the start of sharing permaculture information through permies.com, and then richsoil.com is linked to permies.com. But you mentioned doing polyculture in a lawn and doing things beyond organic, which is really how you see permaculture. And so that ties into all of that very nicely. We were going to touch on... Um, what a permaculture design course is, some things about Seth Holzer, um, just kind of the solutions-based focus of permaculture and comparing it a bit to regular organic. So we were going to try and hit on all of those topics today, right? Uh, yeah. You're, now, now I'm driving, so you you have the list. <laughs> and, and, and so I'm going to uh, uh, spew out whatever I can think of as we go along, I guess. Now, uh, originally the forums were on rich soil, and then as the community grew, um, I kind of started thinking, well, I should separate my my personal rants on stuff to one thing, and then uh, uh, permies will be the the community. And and granted, while the permies community is is very much flavored by me. Uh, I wanted to be more of a community and less less me, um, 
and, and I know that right now as I'm saying it out loud, it, it sounds kind of foolish. Maybe I should lump the two together, but, but uh, I, I do have some method to my madness, I guess. Um, all right, so now we want to talk about permaculture. Is that okay? All right, so um, uh, yeah, I, I, there's some polyculture in the lawns, but but really, um, uh, and I want to try and not talk about lawns. We'll save the lawn lawn stuff for another one. Let's let's move into into permaculture. Uh, when I think of permaculture and what it is to me, um, I I like to think that it's the idea of how, rather than, than making nature my bitch to grow my food and raise my animals, how could I be more aligned with the way nature already works? Now, I've, I've had some people say, you know what, just walk away from the land, nature will take care of itself, and it, you can't possibly improve on it. And, and, when, and, I, and frankly, I think that, no, you know what, if I help nature, then nature can generate a uh, hundred times more. In fact, I, I really kind of believe that one of the reasons we're on this planet is to help. And and uh, I, I remember doing this project once where I thought it would be great to make a video to, to just ask a bunch of people the question of, like, what's the most eco thing you could do? And I ended up not ever making the video because half of the people said um, something along the lines of die, uh, like the most eco thing you could possibly do is to die, and, and I kind of thought, oh, that's just kind of creepy and depressing. And, and while there's a lot of truth to that, and I, I did think it was a witty answer in many ways, when it came up about the eighth time, I just kind of lost all my steam to make the video. But I, I really think that no, you know what? I, I think that that a person can go and be a steward of a piece of land, and. Um, uh, nature and that person can really strike some powerful harmony, and that um, that that land will be more productive. We'll sing really what? Yeah. Oh, I didn't mean to stop you so quickly. Uh, we got to fight. We nah. <laughs> We need to have some better signals here. <laughs> I just wanted to bring you back to uh, maybe a fairly clear definition of permaculture. I'm surprised at how many people have no idea what that is. Uh, and then if they do know it, they think it's only about food production, you know, or, or growing food. So, so if you could talk about that. Well, yeah, not only... So forgive me, every time you say anything like that with, with eight compound questions, I, I always go at the last one, and I think of Ben Law's amazing works in permaculture and, and uh, the woodland way, um, and definitely not so much a food system as much as it is like a symbiotic relationship with a woodland. Um, and, and I think that's, to me, that's what I think of. I think of a symbiotic relationship, something that's mutually beneficial to, look, there's a deer. To uh, to man and uh, and to nature, um, so both both are better off. Um, now, when it comes to a definition of permaculture, it's like boy, you know, you, there's a different answer for that for almost every permaculture person you talk to. And um, I uh, I so I, I originally called what I did on my farm. I called it a full farm ecosystem with systems feeding systems feeding systems, and. Um, uh, uh, I, I seem to remember trying to write something once that was really good. I came up with something that was the word symbiotic. I, I remember seeing, like, like Mollison, who invented the word, uh, seemed to have uh, come up with um, 
several different ways of, of stating it. Um, uh, I, I used to like to tell the story about the Sahara. What, you wanted to... Oh, okay, all right. So I, Renaya was originally trying to describe what is permaculture. I like the, the Sahara story, and that is that um, uh, 10,000 years ago, the Sahara used to be a lush savanna and jungle. And uh, people would go and get their food by wandering uh, out into the savanna and jungle and, and gathering food and bringing it home. And, uh, but boy, you know, that wandering out there was kind of a hassle. And so what they did was is that uh, they, they started sticking seeds in the ground near their home. And uh, uh, that would do okay. But you know what really did awesome is when they went to a patch of trees and they cut them all down. And uh, and then they stuck seeds in that land. That did really good. And uh, uh, but then it would only do good for a few years, and then it would start to suck. So then they'd move to the next patch of trees and do it again. And the funny, you know, so my little bit of comedy here is, is that next thing you know, they're having to walk a really long ways in order to get their food again. Um, and now they got to go futz with it. Um, so now desertification uh, uh, was the result. Now there's some debate. Some people say that. You know, cutting, them cutting down the trees and, and, you know, doing their agriculture was the thing that led to the desertification of the area. Uh, and, and others are saying that, no, there was this mysterious climate change which led to desertification of the area, which then killed the trees. Um, so uh, um, I'm, I'm, of course, subscribed to the idea that it was agriculture that led to desertification. And I think we've got a lot of uh, evidence of that that's far more recent than 10,000 years ago. Um, and then there's the uh, the reverse. Basically, permaculture is to do the reverse, and that is to go in and uh, and, and, and I, I think there's an example of. And I don't even know if this story is fiction or not, but I've I've always I've been I, I've heard it, and now I've repeated it so many times, and I, I have tried to find a source, and I haven't been able to find a source for it. But I'm going to tell the story anyway. Um, natural desert in Australia, and then they took uh, something like a couple of hundred acres, and then they planted it with trees the permaculture way, and they babied it for five years, and then they walked away, and then the trees got taller, and then they um, the, the actual patch grew beyond the original uh, beyond the original patch. It got bigger and bigger, um, you know, uh, uh, vertically or no, vertically horizontal, horizontally. Laterally, laterally, it expanded, took over more acres on its own with, without any help from anybody. And, uh, and then they recorded the higher rainfall. Um, and along those lines, I mean, we've got more recent documented evidence of that very thing with the work that, uh, done by Willie Smith. Jeff Lawton's Greening the Desert. Oh, that's on YouTube. It's, it's such an amazing thing to watch. Um, and so... And I, I'm just going to interrupt and say you're still talking about a lot of um, different, uh, whether it's woodland growing or food production or greening the desert, it, it, you're still talking about a lot of um, agricultural or horticultural things. And, and permaculture also encompasses natural building and alternative energy and any systems that are needed for people to where you were using the term symbiotic, but any systems that are as self-sustaining or as low input as possible for people, you know, and it kind of dovetails nicely with homesteading, people interested in self-sufficiency or survival. So permaculture is very much about um, 
systems and homesteads and, and living settlements that are self-sustaining and, um, uh, right? Um, mostly. I, I was, I, there was, so like, when you were, at one point, something kind of got caught in my craw for what you're saying, but yes, uh, there's a lot of yes in that, a lot of uh-huh, and, and then I th- there was one part where you say the most of something, the, the most efficient, the most sustainable, the most whatever. And I think, I, I like to think of, uh, of, of permaculture as being more of a direction than a destination. And, and so um, while there are, and then, you know, so because a lot of people can get start to debate amongst each other about, oh, you know, this is the place, this is the destination, and everything else is not permaculture. In fact, I, I'm, I'm really kind of concerned that I, I'm hearing a lot of people, like, I, and when I say a lot, I mean like half of the permaculture movement talking about what permaculture is not. And and uh, and it really uh, uh, makes it difficult. I think that they're like, hey, if you're not where I am or going where I'm going or whatever, then then, then you're making things worse and you're bad and I hate you. Right, and that's the other thing you wanted to touch on that you, that um, you know what permies is about and what um, you view permacul- permaculture as emphasizing is how to do the right thing, not don't do that. Oh right, that's a that's a, a big thing that even t- touches into the other topic of, of what is a permaculture design course. Um, I, I've become really passionate about the idea of rather than telling people to stop being bad, I want to build a better world. And I, I think that a lot of the conflict that you see, like you know, people are out there, you know, screaming at each other about you're doing things all bad and I hate you and I want to beat, beat you with this baseball bat. Um, I, I think that if those people had the same knowledge set, that they they wouldn't uh, they wouldn't be in conflict. I, I, I think that it's really the cure for nearly all conflict is is to have the same knowledge set. And so I kind of feel like rather than getting into it with somebody and like let's let's take let's let's get our baseball bats out and have a go at each other, I think what's what I want to do, what I'm trying to do, is I'm trying to pick out these little tidbits of information that I think are not particularly well known and project them. And that's where, like, all these videos that I've made are, are about. A lot of the stuff that I've conveyed on, on Permies, uh, the articles that I've written, and, and uh, so much more. The, the, when I go out and I, I speak on different topics, um, um, all, I don't know, all the gobbledygook that I do, all the different little conversations I get into. And, and now maybe these podcasts, if, if I can project my stuff, my gobbledygook, then, then maybe when I go and talk to people about how do we move forward, there'll be, it'll be easier for me, uh, at least, and, and we'll collectively move forward rather than like, oh, let's, let's argue about this and be mad at each other and stuff. Well, and when I first met you, I didn't know what permaculture was, and and um, when you described taking your permaculture design course, which a lot of people call a PDC, uh, you expressed that the permaculturists you met through that course seemed to have a much different attitude from other people you've been around. Oh, yeah. Uh, so when I took the course, I'd read all the books, and um, I had been online talking to, to the, the, some, of, some of the big minds on, on permaculture on the Internet and, 
and uh, um, I was just bonkers about permaculture. And I kind of, but in order to be able to call your farm a permaculture farm, you have to take the course. And so I thought I'll just show up, put in my two weeks, and then I'll be able to use the word permaculture in whatever I do. And I was shocked at what an amazingly awesome experience it was and uh, how much I learned that I never thought I needed to learn, that it never came up in the books. And uh, one of the big things was is, is that um, so, many people, so many of the people there were talking about how they no longer wanted to tell people to stop being bad. And there was like one gal there that used to be part of the Earth First stuff. And, uh, and and she was talking about how she's just tired of telling people to stop. And, that, and so she stopped doing that like a year before or something. And then her, her focus was on just building good things. She's not going to do anything else. But it's like everybody else there besides me was very much in this boat. And it was a very humbling experience. Very powerfully moving, and and uh, and frankly, it rubbed off on me and changed my life. I I I, I want to do that too. I don't want I don't want to argue with people. I don't want to you know go and and uh, get get out the baseball bats. I instead what I want to do is build good things, and in time, building good things will beat um, you know anything I could possibly do by by saying saying stop being bad and, and in fact as as I'm learning this from these people I'm thinking well it's kind of like my lawn care article and and I and, and so now I want to do more of that and it was shortly after that that I made the article about the cast iron right so so and that's what you're all about is getting out content about the lesser known ideas like you said and so we've been talking around definitions and ideas and not really talking too much about content. Well, the stories you like, very specific about the Sahara and the, you know, greening of the desert examples. What are some other examples, maybe um, Sepulzer or comparing uh, permaculture to organic agriculture? Oh, well, yeah. I'm ashamed that I've uh, talked about permaculture this much. And I haven't mentioned the mighty, the glorious, the amazing Sepp Holzer. Uh, uh, he is the the man. Um, granted, the the word was invented by Mollison and 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 possibly uh, David Holmgren. Um, and and you know, my hats off to those fellows. Uh, uh, and and you know, big gobs of respect for those guys. Uh, at the same time, you know, when I do my own analysis of all the different things I've learned and seen, and, and while, you know, Mollison's book has been just so awesome for me, the man is really, to me, really, Sepp Holzer. I mean, he's, he's leading the way. And, and, uh, and so I, I look at him and I think, you know, yeah, man, in 20 years I might catch up to Holzer. That's, that's what I want to do. Uh, <clears throat> So, uh, uh, am I just babbling, or have I uh, addressed what you're talking about here? Well, um, you know, I just realized we skipped past the PDC. Let's back up half a sec and, and define what a PDC, a permaculture design course, is. And then we'll get back to SEP, and maybe you can do specific examples of SEP. All right. So, uh, a permaculture design course, I hear about this 72 hours or something, but... Um, I, you know, I don't give a fig for that. I, I, it's almost always a two-week course. Uh, and um, uh, now you, you've completed one, but you did the weekends thing. Right. 
where where it was like uh, a weekend every month for six or seven months or something. Is that right? Okay. And uh, and frankly, after talking to a whole bunch of people that have done one or the other, and some have even done both, I I really want to encourage folks to do the two week thing. And so here's what happened for me, and what happens for most. And there are some that are like three weeks too, or even longer. But um, the, the, the two-week thing is where you, you, you'll spend 14 days in a row. Um, and uh, the one that I did, it was like you get up at 7 o'clock in the morning, and then you're having breakfast with everybody. Uh, 8 o'clock in the morning, they'll uh, talk about what's going to be happening for the day. But, but basically, the whole day is planned out all the way until like 9 o'clock at night every day. And I think we got one day in the middle where we only had to do a half a day. And so we kind of got half a day off for rest. But... The rest of the time, it's all planned out, and it's just, I don't know, I, I thought it was just amazing and awesome all day long every day, and, and, and after about the third day, my primary thought was, how, what do I need to do to be able to live my life like this every day the rest of my life, which, you know, now I'm, I'm, I'm having a, a hard time coming up with a way of ever doing that, but I I'm, I'm still want that. I, I still want it. It's okay to want things, and I want that. Um, a, there's a, a permaculture design course is, is kind of a, it's got a pretty strict format. There's very specific things that need to be discussed there. And the only people that are allowed to teach it are people that have taken a permaculture design course. Um, I, I think a lot of it is is that that's what the big black book, what Mollison's big black book is supposed to originally have been the text for, but I'm not sure about that. But I'm, I'm not a really great person to ask about how to teach one because I don't intend to ever teach a permaculture design course, so I haven't really been booking up on that. I've been bonkers about other stuff. Right. Well, it, it covers um, the ethics and principles of permaculture and the different design systems in permaculture, and then, then you're allowed to use the word permaculture after you've taken a design course. Um, you're not supposed to use the term permaculture unless you have taken a course. But that's that's probably all we need to say about the course. We've gone away. So uh, I, I, I do want to say that I've, I've been a guest instructor a few times where, where I'll, I mean, I like doing that. I, I, I've done Animals in the Landscape, which is like usually a, a, a half day or a day of, of the course. And, um, you know, a lot of these places, it's like uh, a lot of people that do it are vegans, and they're not, they, they don't have a lot of experience in that space. And uh, I don't know. I think people kind of like the way I do it anyway. But I don't mind teaching that segment. But, um, but yeah, I, I, the whole thing, that's, that's not really my cup of tea. So um, you often talk about permaculture as being beyond organic, and you think Sepp Holzer is the man in that regard. And maybe he has a full farm ecosystem, and maybe give some examples of how his systems eat systems to show how that goes beyond organic. Oh yeah, uh, um, I think uh, I think like if we were to take a physical look. We're gonna go, we're gonna go stand in an organic garden for a moment, and then we're gonna go stand at Sepp Holzer's place. So uh, a couple of things that are gonna be different. Uh, one, the organic garden is gonna have everything growing in rows, and I'm gonna talk about your normal organic garden that I've seen a, a million times. Well, not a million, but a lot, hundreds, thousands of times. Um, and uh, um, 
you're going to have all your stuff growing in rows, the label at the end, and, the, and you're going to see a lot of exposed soil uh, in between the rows. Um, you're going to see irrigation going on. Uh, you're going to see people putting in a lot of work to make the garden happen. Mostly weeding. <laughs> They're going to be pulling their so-called weeds. They, they fear the weeds. Um, and then at Sepp Holzer's place, um, you're going to see it's it's going to look like a mess. It's going to look like uh, man, no one's been by here for years to pull the weeds. <laughs> you're going to see almost no exposed soil. Uh, you're going to see nothing growing in rows. You are going to see rows, but they're going to be where the land has been reshaped, um, and it's going to uh, and it's going to look uh, I don't know sculpted. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I think most organic gardeners would look at it and not understand. Well, why did they do that? That's all weird. Um, you're going to see a lot of trees at Seth's place, uh, whereas most agriculture and most organic gardens are going to be like a great big wide open space, and then things growing in rows. Um, uh, most permaculture systems are going to involve a lot of trees. Um, I, and understory, understory shrubs and bushes too. And, and right, and and then uh, also Sep uh, is not going to irrigate. He's not going to fertilize. He's not going to put in any kind of pest control. He's um, pretty much, in fact, for a lot of his stuff, he's not even going to plant the seeds. Um, and and it's like it's either perennials or stuff that's self-seeding. So like tomatoes. A lot of people have experienced volunteer tomatoes, and that's basically a self-seeded tomato. Um, and so for a lot of stuff, Sep just shows up and harvests. Doesn't pull weeds, doesn't, doesn't really do anything but harvest. And that's a real permaculture system. Um, so what are the systems that feed systems in, in, in that? All right, so for example, uh, um, usually you're going to have like 50 different species of plants all growing together or near each other. And um, uh, a great example is an oak tree uh, will have a deep tap root, and it'll be able to find water and nutrients down deep. And then it'll grow next to, say, um, uh, I'm trying to think of a, like maybe a pea plant, and um, you know, or, or some other nitrogen-fixing plant. And then the idea is that while it doesn't have particularly deep roots, uh, it still needs water. And then uh, through all kinds of microorganisms in the soil, uh, mostly mycelium, which is fungus, uh, then there'll be an exchange of nutrients and water. And um, and so now uh, the pea plant gets to have things that it could not get by itself or if it was surrounded by nothing but pea plants uh, that, that were acquired by that oak tree. And the oak tree gets to have nitrogen that uh, was not, uh, that it could not get by itself or if it was grown in an area that was nothing but oak trees. Uh, and so it gets to have things the pea plant is expert at getting. So they, they, get, they, they effectively help each other. Um, I mean, there's a lot more to it. I mean, there's, there's, you know, there's, but that's one example out of probably a hundred I could list off. Right. right. That's the polyculture example. Um, and, and the other 
part of that, you mentioned the mycelium, and that's a big reason people, one of the big reasons people do no-till. Um, and I think permaculture is more about tilling the soil less than um, organic agriculture. So I, I'm hoping to do a podcast in the future with the goddess of the soil, Helen Atow, and, and she's done a lot of, um, uh, well, I want to say lab work with till versus no-till. She's using um, uh, um, several acres as her uh, experimental grounds, and, and she really, really understands the value of having a control and, and, uh, and carefully monitoring all kinds of stuff. So we'll get into a lot of detail about that. But then the thing is, is that in a nutshell, uh, so many people will say, oh, well, you know, if you do no-till, it won't work um, for this reason, for that reason. And um, a lot of it, it kind of boils down to, like, you know, you, you go and you look at this patch of land, it's almost gravel, and things aren't doing well there. And, um, and yeah, if you, just, if you just throw seeds on the ground or, or mash them in a little bit or something like that, then, yeah, they, they, won't, they won't do anything. It'll be a waste of seeds. You need to you need to till that. I mean, that land is so bad. It's basically, the thing to keep in mind is every time you till, you release thirty percent of the organic matter into the atmosphere. And and so, if you keep that in mind as your rule of thumb, well, if you come to some really awful dirt, tilling it isn't going to really hurt much. You know, so till in some organic matter, till in something that's going to make a difference, or or do something to improve the soil, and you might want to till it for a while to get it to the point that it's improved. But but it's like um, uh, basically, if you were to till in a bunch of organic matter, then it's like if it loses 30% of nearly zero organic matter, who cares? You're you're adding in a hundred times more than it might possibly lose when you till it. But then when you take good soil and you till it, and you're not even working in in the organic matter, yeah, you're going to get an immediate rush as you kind of go and you, you take the organic matter that's in there and you break it into something that's going to give you a faster feedback, and you're going to make it so that you, it's less compacted. You're going to get more air and water in there, things of that nature, more spaces for the roots to expand. Uh, yeah, yeah, you will get an immediate feedback, and, uh, um, and then uh, the soil will be worse the next year. Well, all right, so I can go on about no-till for a while. but Right, right. And, and soil is a huge topic. We'll probably touch on that multiple times even before we get Helen Atow on here. But the system seeding systems, besides polyculture and soil, uh, SEP also uses animals and water and uh, the land sculpting that you mentioned and fish. Yes, all of that is true. <laughs> um, uh, I, I think a great one is animals, um, uh, and, and you know, I, I think it would be great to do a podcast with Helen because Helen's a vegan, and um, and I and I want and, and first off, first off, what I want to do is I want to put all vegans up on a big pedestal, and I admire the choices that a vegan makes and why. And, and I really think that uh, in the book Omnivore's Dilemma, it really does a great job of that. And I can go into that. I I want to leave that behind for now. But but I do think that when you when you work animals in to your permaculture system, that the benefits, even to a vegan, are are immense. 
and uh, and and uh, I mean basically that's the way nature intended it. And then if you work them in, then then you have more of that symbiotic relationship. You have uh, a way of of controlling it and basically uh, being the uh, the conductor of the orchestra, uh, as opposed to leaving it to just the wild animal. Um, and and uh, if you do a paddock shift system, you can get grasses and forbs to grow uh, five times more. So you have five times more organic matter growing in an area than if you just didn't have animals in the system and you left it to the wild. And I and I kind of think, boy, you know, increasing the organic matter is one of the 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 main things that you're shooting for, uh, and for any kind of garden system or ag system. Um, and you know, hey, there's there's a topic, uh, and maybe what I ought to do is do a podcast with Toby Hemingway. He has uh, an article that he's written where I think he makes some amazingly good points. But he he thinks that civilization equals agriculture, and he thinks agriculture is a bad word. And and I I kind of think that it's not. I, I think the way that conventional agriculture is done, okay, that's a bad word. But I think let's. Let's let's keep the word and let's use the word to make and make things better. I, I like the idea of uh, like if I could go and take a conventional farmer and teach him permaculture, I like the idea that he could increase his, his annual net income by a factor of ten or even a hundred and um, uh, ditch you know the the, the gig, ditch the toxic gig, and so then he's making the change. Not because he's uh, on an eco kick, but entirely because he'll make more money. And and uh, I've, I, and there are some permaculture people that, that that seem to be of the camp of like, no, he's not allowed to do that because he didn't sing the permaculture song just the right way. And I kind of think, uh, no, I'd rather I'd rather save the planet. I don't give a damn whether he sings some song or not. Um, and and now I'm referring to an aspect of permaculture that's kind of like ah. Uh, I, I don't know. It, it bothers me. Maybe I should Well, no, I was just going to interject that, yeah, it, anytime people get passionate about a topic, they can get dogmatic about it. And and that that just happens. People are people. They're passionate about something. They want everybody to get on the same bandwagon. And, 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 and it just happens. It's unfortunate, but it happens. Did I answer whatever you were asking about, or did I wander way the hell off? <laughs> no, uh, you did. Uh, you started talking about a little more about the animals in the system and what a benefit that is. I think that's a surprise to people. I think I know it was a surprise to me how much organic matter is lost when you till. Um, I think, you know, there's still so much more complexity to what Sepp does with his ponds and how that improves all his microclimates and retains the water, and he does a ton with uh, monk pumps, right? And oh. yeah, or not the monk, and not a pump, no. I got the, the ram pump, yeah. the ram pump, and then he's got the thing that's where the water leaves the pond, and he calls that the monk. Gotcha. I got those terms mixed up. But uh, his fish are an integral part of his food systems and his pest control, and he has lots of fish in his pond, and I just think it's kind of amazing how all those work together. I think one of the most awesome things about his ponds and his fish is that he never feeds them. And it's not like they're up there starving to death. What he's done is that he has he, he has he has entered into a symbiotic relationship with nature so that they naturally get mountains of food 
and that he has fish-based ecosystems where the fish are thriving and getting fat off of um, what they normally, naturally eat. Uh, and, and I think it's a great example. A lot of people keep contacting me. And in fact, just before I started on this trip that we're on right now, uh, I had uh, two different people saying, you need to go by these places. They've got an aquaponic system going on, and you want to take videos, and you want to um, you know, interview them, make articles and stuff like that. And, and uh, to these folks, I said, well, I, I appreciate you, you know, looking out for me and helping me to find interesting things. But uh, aquaponics is, is really not my bag. Um, I far prefer aquaculture. Uh, with aquaponics, they, they, they create a tank, and then they keep the fish in the tank, and then they have to feed the fish. With aquaculture, you basically create a pond, and good luck, fish, you're on your own. And uh, you walk away, and then you come back uh, later, and, you, and you, you, you pull out the fish. Right, and it does become that simple in the in the end. But as you said, you know the humans can improve the environment, and and some of the videos we've watched of Seb, he talks about placing rocks in the pond to retain heat, and he placed stumps in the pond to give the fish cover, so that they you know could hide from the herons and things like that. True, and, and uh, he has uh, he has hot hot what he calls uh, warm ponds and cold ponds. And so the, the ones with the rocks in them are the warm ponds. And he's trying to warm the water for a variety of reasons. And then he's got a series of cold ponds where um, he doesn't put the rocks in. And instead he makes the ponds very deep. And, um, and then he'll plant lots of brush around them to keep the sun out. And, and then the idea is that that's, you know, cause like trout. Trout likes a very cold pond. And, uh, and so then, you know, he'll, he'll keep them in the cold pond. So he'll, he's, he's got like two networks of, uh, it's like all the way from the top to the bottom, the, the water typically doesn't mix. Sometimes he might mix them a little bit for one reason or another, but for the most part he doesn't mix them, and he keeps them, keeps them separate. We forgot to mention where Sepp Holzer is and where he grows all this food, which is very different from how most people think. Most people think of a valley for growing food, and, and Sepp's not in a valley. Oh, right. The mighty, the glorious, the amazing Sepp Holzer is in the Alps of Austria, and, and he has a mountainside. Uh, like 110 acres on a great big mountainside. And uh, my impression is, is that when he started, it was just um, forest. It was just one great big gob of, of coniferous trees, uh, a monoculture, if you will, dry as a bone. And, uh, and so then he started pumping water in there. And uh, by pumping, I mean, like, I don't think he actually had a pump. I think it was uh, a gravity feed system from uh, some neighbor far away. And but he, he like bought the water rights and and then but I think now I bet you now he could probably turn that off and have plenty of water flow on his entire farm because it's it's in such such an amazing better shape now. But I'm I'm not sure of that I hope someday to go there and see for myself and and. Uh, no. Though Sepp was in Washington State, you took a lot of courses with him, and, and so you've made, um, you know, a lot of articles and put a lot of information out there about Sepp and when he was here, and um, he, he's about 5,000 feet up, and he grows citrus fruit up, up there. Right. His climate's very similar to Missoula, Montana, and in fact, his latitude 
is just a little bit north of Missoula, like about that of R. Lee, Montana. But, uh, uh, and then his elevation is a little higher than Montana. Probably also his elevation is about the same as R. Lee. Uh, and uh, uh, it doesn't get quite as cold there as it does in Montana, but it's like, uh, I think it's like about 10 degrees warmer per year. So um, uh, it's kind of like the difference between damn cold and really damn cold. And, and so it's still, it's still you know, growing citrus where it gets 20 below. You know, that's still quite a feat. Um, but, yeah, he's, did I answer your question or am I just babbling? Yeah, you oh. answered it. Oh, good. Now what am I talking about? Oh. Um, <laughs> I, you know, explain why a mountainside is better than a valley. Oh, um, that's true. I, so, like, I get a lot of people saying, oh, look at this, my, my place in the valley. Uh, do you want to do your permaculture thing here? Can you give me advice? And my advice is, is uh, sell your valley property and get something up on the mountainside. Uh, and, and the big thing is, is that, uh, and, and uh, you know, uh, Sepp makes a very strong point. Of there's there's no, no such thing as poor land, only poor farmers. And, uh, or I, I think is, uh, he might use different German words because he doesn't speak a lick of English, but, uh, maybe, maybe lou- there's no such thing as lousy land, only lousy farmers. That sounds more accurate to what he's saying. But anyway, uh, so, so I, I would prefer to have something that's more up on a mountainside. A valley is going to be where all the cold air pools. You get more fry. Um, you get a little ways up on that mountainside and that cold air just runs right on by. And, and you can stay warmer, especially if you have a south-facing slope. I mean, when it gets to be like the middle of July, you're not really facing too many frost problems. But then when you get into September, now you got your frost problems. And if you've got some south-facing slope, then that south-facing slope will gather more warmth than, uh, than flatlands. So, because um, uh, it's more perpendicular to the sun rays, um, it's a better it's a better sun absorber, um, and uh, uh, there's just so much more you can do about channeling water, channeling the cold air, and and dealing with stuff. Whereas when you're down in the bottom of the valley, um, I mean, great, granted, in the bottom of the valley you can run a tractor there, and that's why most people do their farming in the valley floors. Is because now they can, you know, do all their tractory things. Um, but you know, with a little bit of work, you can do a lot of that tractory stuff up on a hillside too, uh, and and have way better results. Okay, that's great. We uh, we've gone about 50 minutes so far. We have about 10 minutes left if we're doing an hour-long podcast today. Um, as we're driving along, you know. Um, so we talked about how Permi started with a lawn care article and, and trying to, you know, make a positive change in the world and how the positive change, looking at what we can do to make a difference, is what really inspires you and drives you to put your articles out there and do what you want to do. And that's what impressed you with some other people in permaculture that you met with trying to stay away from the dogma and uh, uh, <laughs> the social justice stuff. I, I think that the social justice stuff is really important, and it is part of the permaculture umbrella. But i got to tell you, it, it's something that I typically avoid, and I wish those people good luck, and I really admire what they're doing. It's just not my cup of tea. And I know that on Permian, some people are mad because uh, I, I try to not I, – I re, well, I, frankly, I restrict that kind of discussion on Permian. 
because uh, it just gets people getting mad at each other, and uh, I, I feel like it's not moving forward. Well, yeah, it's like discussing religion and politics, which my parents still refuse to do. <laughs> <laughs> which is wise on their part. Yeah. yeah. So we talked about a PDC, a permaculture design course, and what that means. We talked a lot about Sepp, your favorite guy. And um, we compared, did some comparison of permaculture to organic. And we threw some terms out there, mostly defined them as we went. We didn't really define polyculture versus monoculture, but I think most people would get that. I'm just not sure if there's any other pieces you think we didn't cover fully enough that you'd like to backtrack to or, or add. Um, I, everything that I want to add, it's like I want to add um, another podcast's worth of uh, detail. And then when I do that, then I probably will come up with 10 more podcasts worth of detail that I want to add on that. So it's kind of like, uh, I, I think it's a good time to talk about, like, let's start wrapping things up. And one of the things is, is that I, I can't remember when we started this, did we mention who you are? Oh, no, we forgot. But that's okay. <laughs> I'm Jocelyn Campbell, and um, I have jocelynsevents.com, and I'm I'm his nerdy little accountant sidekick here. <laughs> it's like the tick. <laughs> you're like Arthur. <laughs> and 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 thankfully, you're a little bit smarter than the tick. <laughs> oh right, right. That's I and I am grateful for that. Uh, but but you know, I I, I guess I don't uh, do enough for I don't do as much for justice as the tick does. And and uh, but I'm okay with that. Uh, and you don't wear a blue suit, but you do wear overalls. <laughs> and I and I look damn good in overalls. And, you know, the ticks should try them sometime. Right. right. Well, we're still looking at um, podcast requests out in the Tinkering Forum out at permies.com. If you have a podcast request, we have a list of over a dozen topics and, and about ten different people that Paul would like to interview for podcasts. That we've, We're creating a list, um, trying to help keep them a little organized there. Um but put requests out there. Um, definitely post links to things. Uh, Paul's also running a promotion that if people promote his articles or his videos or his podcasts out at Reddit, he's giving away some stuff. Oh yeah, I've, I've got. I posted out there at the Tinkering Forum in Permis, uh, and I can't remember the details. But it was you know if if somebody gets like a, a hundred upvotes on something that I'm going to give them uh, one of the permies.com mugs and one of the permies.com t-shirts. Um, also, I want to say that uh, um, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this obnoxious thing where I'm saying that for each um, podcast that I make, there's a price tag on it. And that's part of how I got convinced to do this was that people were going to take over certain aspects and it's like, if you do this, we'll, we'll do this other thing. And, and i got to say, so far, I've been really wowed. I mean, in fact, that last video that went out, uh, uh, there was like 150 Facebook pages it appeared on. And when you click on the share button on, on a YouTube video, it'll say, under Facebook, there's like 150-some people, uh, or this is on their, uh, uh, what do they call it, their, their wall? Or Yeah, and so... Uh, that's, that was just so awesome to see. Uh, so, so you guys that convinced me to do this podcast thing, you're keeping up your end of the deal. And so I'm keeping up my end of the deal. I'm making the podcast. And then for those that are coming along late to the show, then, then there's a price tag. And the price tag is 
that you need to make a link to something of mine that you like. I'm not saying go make links to things that you think are stupid, uh, but but find the thing that you like and, and make a link to it. And um, and today I want to um, uh, emphasize making a link to the uh, the permaculture forums out of permies.com. I'd like the link to say permaculture, and uh, it goes to http colon slash slash www.permies.com slash permaculture dash forums. Um, uh, and uh, so if you make that link, boy, that that makes that alleviates a lot of my concerns about a lot of things and gives me more time to make more podcasts. I just want to add about the forums that um, it's, it's different than the social media sites. Uh, forums are really like libraries. There's a lot of fabulous information and tips and um, resources and links within that that you can search and, and it's, it's, it's encyclopedic um, whereas a lot of the social media stuff is nice but it's flash in the pan and then it's gone so so the forums are really the, the history and the and, and the conversations are wonderful and the community is wonderful and I would encourage people to participate there um, and, and, and use that as a, the resource that it is and the resource that Paul, Paul's built it to be. And I, I, you know, I'm glad to uh, answer questions out there, um, although I've got to admit that when somebody asks a question out there and by the time I get to it, if there are three or four people that have already talked about, well, Paul would say this, Boy, I so appreciate that. <laughs> Make my life easy. Um, but on the other hand, uh, uh, people still write to me all the time, and I, I have to say I cannot answer your questions via email unless I charge you some crazy amount of money. Uh, but if you go and ask in the forums and you feel like you didn't get an adequate answer or you want to make sure that the answers given were correct, that they're from me, if, if you email me with a link to a, a form thread, I, I will answer it. I swear I will. At least I'll say what that person said is what I would say. Uh, and so, but I, I'm, I'm happy to do that. But but it's like I'm, I'm, I'm making such big changes in the last few months and how it's like I got to I gotta prioritize my time towards the stuff where um, 500 people will see it as opposed to just one person. So I've been make, I've been trying to do that more, and it's been been really effective. I think I think we've we've been getting out to a lot more people. It's been just so so I don't know I don't know what the word is uh, um, uh, bizarre. How many people have been pouring out of the woodwork, uh, wanting more, more, more. And your biggest jumps lately have been from the Survival Podcast and also Reddit. A lot of Redditors came to see what you were doing. Yeah, and uh, I, I got it. And, and somebody said something, I, I think I pronounced Jack's last name wrong. I've been saying Jack Spirko or Jack Spirko. I'm, I'm not sure. But, but he's, you know, from the Survival Podcast, uh, that, there's been a lot of uh, um, interest in me making these podcasts from those folks. And it was uh, it's those folks who I think were the big driving force in making the the Facebook fan page. And that Facebook fan page, I've been I've been really um, working that. And so uh, because there's a lot of people there, and, and basically I post something out there and I get results. So uh, I do that. But I try to for the for the plans and, and how someone's saying I should post the podcast somewhere else. I've been trying to do that in the tinkering form at Permies. Uh, uh, and so I, there's so much I need to learn about how to do stuff the right way, and I, I could use some advice. 
really. Um, the other thing, we mentioned Reddit, but it's reddit.com, R-E-D-D-I-T.com. And, and that's um, a social media site where um, there's quite the community out there, too. Huge, huge community. I'm going through withdrawal symptoms. I'm, uh, I really enjoy Reddit. <laughs> and, and, uh, but to do the podcast, it's like, okay, that's one of the things i got to do. i gotta, I got to let Reddit go. And and uh, and I'm told that other people will go and do what I did out on Reddit, and and so all the Reddit people will still find out about what I'm up to, and I'm okay. I'm 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 holding up my end. I'm right. staying out, right. and I'm putting that time into podcast. Right. And and we even uh, did this podcast on the road as we're driving. Uh, what city are we in now? I've been looking at notes in the microphone. Well, I figured about the time that we got done that we'd be arriving in. And so I think I think we might be coming up on Portland here pretty soon. Okay. So, so um, well, where we're going, the rocket mass heater thing. Right, right. We're going to Cobb Cottage Company um, to meet with Yanto Evans uh, and several other people. Um, Ernie, er, Ernie, Ernie, and Erica Wisner. And that, and I'm hoping I pronounced names correctly. But um, uh, Kiko Denzer, Kiko Denzer is going to be there. Yeah. So he's um, lots of the premier authors in in the area of rocket stoves, rocket stove mass heaters, Cobb ovens, and then uh, um, uh, Cobb masonry heaters, and natural building uh, and Cobb building. Um, and, and so it's just an amazing place, an amazing gathering of people. So we'll be talking more about that, visiting Rick Valley, uh, visiting Marina's farm, and hopefully visiting Larry Corn. Larry Corn, yeah, that'll be that'll be awesome. I've I've had uh, I had a bunch of people uh, contact me uh, from uh, I think it was the Fukuoka mailing list that want me to interview Larry Corn, and I already tried interviewing Helen Atta because she uh, has spent some time there too. Um, and and uh, I, I think I want to redo the interview with her, even though we already redid it twice. <laughs> <laughs> well, and for people that are still kind of new to permaculture, uh, Fukuoka is, is uh, passed away recently, and he he was an amazing uh, pioneer with some what could be called some permaculture methods in in uh, uh, with. I'm sorry, I'm blanking on the terms, but from he Japan. Called, he called it do-nothing farming. And, uh, and his techniques were amazingly similar to Sepp Holzer, uh, even though I don't think either one read the works of the other. Um, and uh, uh, I, I think it's fair to say that a lot of the stuff he did is very permaculture-esque. Well, and he, uh, he's the author of One Straw Revolution. Which Larry Korn did the translation for. Yeah. And then that has inspired lots and lots of people to find more um, self-sustaining ways to grow their food. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, I, I think uh, uh, a lot of the stuff that Fukuoka did is, um, I mean, definitely speaking strongly to this whole being more in tune with nature and, and then uh, uh, ending it, uh, more of a, a choreographical, choreography, I don't know. <laughs> Choreography with nature, yeah. uh, something where uh, it's it's a more more of a symbiotic relationship, and uh, it's amazing. And, and it's it's so interesting to study the things that are different between him and Holzer. Right. I th- 
I think one thing that defines permaculturists is they're not afraid to have the human influence in the landscape. I, it's, it's kind of an irony thing that you, you were saying that Zen, um, Seth's place would look a lot messier than a typical rose and weeded organic landscape. It may look messier, but in some ways it has more orchestration, like with putting the rocks in the ponds and putting the things and putting in uh, um, species that are appropriate for that climate but are not native. You know, that's a whole nother topic we can talk about. But but there's the human orchestration is welcome and, and considered making things better for habitat and better for people and better for the environment. I, I And the only thing I want to take exception to is the stuff about um, stuff that's not well aligned with nature, with, with nature for that climate because, of course, he's growing the citrus there. He does a lot of things where... Where it's like, because uh, if you think about it, in in a desert you have your oases, and it, and uh, and in this case you can have a desert that's defined by cold, and and you can introduce uh, other species there too. Uh, yeah, the native thing uh, that's something that's worth a podcast or ten uh, is talking about that, and that would be a great one to to do with Toby Hemingway. And I I, I think uh, um, uh, Toby and I are. I, I really like Toby. Uh, Toby actually talks to me, so I'll assume that that means he likes me. Uh, so uh, I, I think that he'd probably be game for doing one of these podcasts. That would be that'd be awesome. He's got the premier book on, on permaculture right now. In fact, if you're going to go and buy one book, it's probably Toby Hemingway's book, Gaia's Garden, would be the book to get, uh, especially for newbies. Uh, and if you're going to get just started in gardening, I, I got to say, get Mel Bartholomew's Square Foot Gardening. I mean, it's it's uh, it's kind of like a baby step into permaculture, but it gets you started with with some really important things about just the basics. Like, why would you plant your peas on a different day of the year than you would your tomatoes? Well, uh, we talked about what four books already in this podcast, and we thought we could almost do a whole podcast just on books. Because we mentioned One Straw Revolution, uh, the Permaculture Designer's Manual by Bill Mollison, Toby's book, and um, now Square Foot Gardening. So, so four books, right? And I and I now have in my possession Sepp Holzer's new book. Well, actually, it's seven years old, but it's just been translated to English. Not yet available in the United States. Yet here I am in the United States with it because I'm special. <laughs> So maybe we'll end things on that note. <laughs> Actually, I need to look at it, and I told the publisher that I would get. I mean, I'm, I've already been pawing through it a little bit, whereas I had little blips of time here and there. And it's wonderful. It's excellent. It's so good. And and I've I've got to finish reading it, and then and then get a get a review up. And I'm sure my review is going to be. It's so awesome. It might be. It might be the best book ever written. <laughs> but I gotta, I gotta read it first, just to be sure. Well, and and not all the podcasts will be from the road like this, with road noise in the background and us passing a mic back and forth. You know, we're 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 doing ad lib technology and figuring this out as we go, and I'm sure it'll improve. Hey, you gotta remember that the the one of the conditions of making the podcast that somebody said, and it was like, okay, now that you said that, I feel far more comfortable doing it. Was that the qual? There's, there's no expectations for quality. <laughs> so they said, 
You could just tape. You just took a microphone outside and kept it in your pocket and talked. And I'm thinking, well, you probably wouldn't hear much because it would sound like my pocket. <laughs> but but basically, I loved that because it made it made it so that the quality level is acceptable if it's really low, so we don't need to worry about road noise. Hey, you get what you get. That's all there is. Yeah, hopefully this sounded a little bit better than a pocket. Or or when someone pocket dials you with their cell phone. You can can thank Jocelyn for that because she spent the time tinkering with different things to see what sounded best. So so now we've got a better sound quality uh, according to Jocelyn's sensitive ear. Oh, gosh. Well, barely better. We're working on it. So thanks for listening, and. If you like this sort of thing, come on out to the forums at permies.com, where we talk about the mighty, the glorious, the amazing sepulcher, homesteading, and permaculture all the time. <laughs>